You are listening to Event Extra, part of the U.S. Institute of Peace podcast network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. I'm Adam Gallagher, managing editor for usip.org and host of USIP's Events Extra, where we talk with policymakers, practitioners, and leaders after USIP events to get more insights on pressing peace and security issues. Today, we'll be discussing the dire global food crisis exacerbated by Russia's war on Ukraine. Joining us today is Dr. Arif Hussein, the chief economist for the UN's World Food Program and a former agroeconomist at the World Bank. Thanks, Adam. I'm happy to be here. Arif, it seems that the international community is finally starting to realize how dire this global food crisis is and grapple with it. But it's not like it was a rosy picture before Russia's invasion. Can you lay out for us where things stood prior to the war and where we're at now when it comes to global hunger and food-related challenges? A few years ago, the number of acutely hunger people was about 80 million. Before COVID, meaning in 2019, it was about 135 million. Biggest reason behind that, war. During COVID, that number rose up to 276 million. And today that number is 345 million. Now, when I say acute hunger, what I mean is people who are in crisis level of hunger. Of this 345 million people, there are about 50 million people who are in what we call hunger emergencies, meaning one step away from famine. In fact, there are about 850 plus million people already who are in catastrophe or famine as we speak. The other scary part of all of this is that these 50 million people I'm talking about, they're not concentrated in one or two or five or 10 countries. They are in 45 countries. This is the magnitude of global food insecurity, I will say, which drives insecurity around the world. So at today's USIP event, uh, the focus was really on the relationship between hunger and conflict. And you started to touch on it a bit uh, at the end of your last answer. But I'm wondering if you could just explain a little bit more how the two are connected and, and how they can drive one another. Look, I mean, you know, uh, people mix up words, uh, a lot of those, no um, conflict, civil unrest, you know, destabilization. Yeah. Um, they're all in the same same in my head at least they're all in the in the same category if you will it's just the intensity right so it's very easy to see that when there is conflict food insecurity rises why because people get displaced or you know if there is war you cannot do your agriculture or you can you know people burn people's crops all of that right and uh, that's very clear and very straightforward but you know what has little less research, not little research, less research is the other one, meaning hunger drives conflict or civil unrest or destabilization. So you look back at 2008, we say uh, riots in 48 countries. Isn't that a form of conflict? Right. Yeah. You know, it's not that, you know, we, 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 we end up saying, oh, we don't have enough evidence. Well, we don't have enough 
evidence of people going to war because there was food insecurity. But we have evidence of you know, government stoppling, unrest, destabilization, people crossing borders because they didn't have enough to eat. So I think this, this is what we need to make sure that people understand that, you know, we, uh, hungry man is an angry man. Somebody very smart said that because it's true. The second thing is essentially rethink war. What is different, let's say, from, from 50 years ago or, or, or 30 years ago is that, like it or not, our, our world is really, really, really connected. So when something happens in one place, you're not immune to the consequences of that. I mean, Ukraine is a classic example. I mean, it's a country of 40 million people fighting the largest country on the planet in size. Why can't we just say, oh, it's somebody else's problem? Can't, right? Not from the moral standpoint, not from the political standpoint, not from the economic standpoint. And the repercussions of that are not only for Ukraine, they are being felt all over the world. We need to see war as not uh, over there, somebody else's problem. We need to start seeing that as something which has real consequences for us. And that is different than it was 50 years ago. I think that's such an important point that no matter how you slice this, if you want to look at it from a humanitarian imperative, from a political economy perspective, or just from a, a sheer dollars and cents perspective, that we need to think about how interconnected these challenges are and, and address them right at the roots. I think that's such an important point. Absolutely. And 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 frankly, I mean, you know, if you believe, you know, we, we crunch all these numbers, and if we believe in these numbers and we say, you know what, 70% of the root cause of all the misery that we see around the world is conflict, we better do something about it. No? Right. Right. And that's not World Food Program was going to sort it out. We we address the symptom of that. But till the root cause goes away, people say, oh, you know, the aid bill is going up and up and up. What's going on? I mean, you know, we need to bring this down. Yeah, we need to bring this down. Please cut a few of these conflicts and you will bring the aid bill down. But till then, don't tell me why, if you were suffering yesterday because of that war and that war is still continuing, why should your outcome be any different? You know, you're on the front lines of this challenge at WFP, as you just alluded to. So, you know, what are your top level recommendations for how to address this crisis today and moving forward in the months uh, and, you know, immediate years ahead? Realize, recognize that people are truly squeezed. There's no wiggle room in a way. So we need to make sure that we provide them with the assistance that is necessary to save their lives. So that to me is the for, first and foremost thing. The second thing is that we need to enable the governments to have enough resources to buy what they need to buy, like food, like fuel, like fertilizer. And we need to create those facilities in the IFIs, international financial institutions and others for them to actually do that. The third thing to me is, particularly in the near term, if we can open those ports in Black Sea, that would help a lot. That has to be at the commercial scale for food, for fuel, for, for fertilizer. And suddenly you may start to see prices not going back to the, you know, two-year level, but at least not going up or, or, or coming down. I think that's, that's critically important. Making sure 
the fertilizer is where it's needed. Uh, agricultural inputs are where they're needed, uh, whether in small quantities or big quantities, you know, concentrated or, or not concentrated. I think that is probably the biggest problem we are looking at right now, other than saving lives of people. That to me are some of the things which you may want to do in the near term. Also, I would I would go saying like, look, I mean, uh, governments, particularly U.S., incredible leadership, putting five billion dollars uh, in the Ukraine package for global food security, followed by countries like Germany putting a whole lot, you know, about four billion dollars, U.K. one billion plus change in global food security. You know, G7 just finished a meeting in Germany, putting four and a half billion dollars more. That's extremely positive and encouraging. We just need to get that money out now. So, so it's, uh, it's flowing. But also it's, um, you know, I think the Gulf needs to do the same, especially the, the oil producing countries. Whoever windfall at this moment, maybe they need to take care of that region, which then frees up resources for the rest of the world. And uh, that would be great. That would be really, really good. And I think, um, you know, that's something which which should be looked at. If you're going to sort this out, it's not going to happen in months. It's going to take time. It's going to take a few years, which means that decision makers, policy makers need to stay focused even when this crisis subsides. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that it all circles back to your essential point there about about rethinking war and how we respond to it and when. Arif, I want to thank you so much for your time. It's very much appreciated. For more on the global implications of Russia's war on Ukraine and the hunger crisis, visit usip.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Event Extra. If you'd like to listen to more one-on-one interviews or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcast.